Read it and, and will be appreciated. All right, we're at Second Timothy chapter 2. You can remain seated as I read the first four verses. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you so much for this time that we have. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be the teacher now, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And uh, we just ask you now to be with the pastor as he rests in the hospital. And Father, I know how, how much he would love to be standing right here. And, and uh, we just ask you to... to bring him back to health, to, that there wouldn't be a lot of complications and a lot of procedures necessary, but that he would get back on his feet and be able to get, come home and, and be with us again. Thank you for all these things. We ask you to bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Uh, I think that I relate to this passage as well as I do because of my military experience. Uh, as a soldier... I wanted to be the best soldier that I could possibly be. I uh, wanted to serve my country with, with all that I had, and including my life, if necessary. And I'm certain that all of you who served here in this room today could say the same thing. Now, let's notice in, in chapter 2 and verse 3, Paul's admonition here. He tells Timothy, he, he says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In other words... What, what Paul is saying is, Timothy, everything that I've, I've instructed you in, 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 T- in Timothy 1 and everything I've instructed you so far in Timothy chapter 2, because of all of those things, it's so important that you be prepared to endure the hardness of the Christian life as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And that is what I want to be today. I, I want to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ as I serve him in his church. Uh, so this morning, I want to examine uh, just three of, the, of some of the more important characteristics of being a good soldier. And there are many more than this, but for time's sake, I'll, I'll just uh, address these three. First this morning, number one, I want to say a good soldier is obedient. A good soldier is obedient. Now, one of the first things we were taught in military was to obey. And obedience is key to success in any aspect of a person's life. In 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22, we read, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. Obedience in the life of a soldier is an absolute necessity. Without it, the soldier cannot possibly succeed. Now, this is also true in our Christian walk. We must be obedient unto the Lord in all things, in all ways. But what I want to do for just a few moments here is I would like to look at the benefits of being obedient. What are the benefits of obedience? Well, first, the obedience assures harmony. Obedience assures harmony. In Amos chapter 3 and verse 3, We read, can two walk together except 
they be agreed. How many of you have ever been involved in a two-legged race? Any of you ever did a two-legged race? Well, in a two-legged race, you have to be in agreement. You certainly don't want to get involved in a two-legged race with someone you don't like because you're not going to agree on too many things. But also, you know, I used to be pretty good at two-legged races. And uh, first thing I always did is I always asked my partner, now who's going to lead us? See, that's a, that's a failure of many people in a two-legged race is they don't decide who's in charge. They don't decide who's going to set the tempo and who's going to choose the direction. And you've got two people both trying to, trying to, and they're working against each other. So it, it takes them, by the time they get it together and get started, the, some, somebody's already halfway down the, the, the course and there's no hope of winning. You have, to be, you have to be in agreement. You have to have a leader and then the person that leads, the other person has to follow, has to obey. Now in the Christian life, we cannot walk in harmony with God unless we are in obedience to him. You can try as, as hard as you want to. If you're not in obedience to God, you will never be in harmony with, with his word. You will never be in harmony with his will. You'll be, you'll be fighting upstream. You know, when I was a boy, they used to say, you're up the creek without a paddle. That's not a good place to be. Because you're going wherever the water carries you. And in order to walk in harmony with God, we must be in obedience to God. In 1 John uh, chapter 4, and verse 20, John states, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he's seen... How can he love God whom he hath not seen? In other words, you can't walk, you can't be in harmony with God. You can't claim to love God if you're, in, if you're in disobedience to his law, to his word. So obedience, first of all, it, it assures harmony. But secondly, obedience promotes happiness. When I think back to being a child, my happiest times were when I was obeying my parents and things were okay. I learned real early in life that if I disobey dad, life is not fun. I learned that real fast. In John chapter 13, in verses 15 through 17, we read, For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. This is when Jesus washed their feet. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that has sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. The most, let me make a statement here. The most miserable person alive is the Christian living in disobedience to God. They may feign happiness, but they're truly not happy. A, a, a man who, or who knows he's a child of God and lives in willful disobedience to God is a miserable person. Obre obedience brings satisfaction. It brings joy. It brings peace. It brings happiness. So first this morning, I want us to see that a good soldier... It's obedient. But then secondly, I think it's important that we understand that a good soldier is prepared. In 2 Timothy, if, you, if you're still there, just look at verse number 15. 2 Timothy 2, 15. We read here, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. A good soldier is prepared. Why do you think soldiers go through boot camp? Well, they go through boot camp because 
to get prepared for war. They don't know anything about war. I, when I went in the military, I was, I was just, I had just turned 18. I didn't know anything about war. You know, in my, in my, when I was 18, they didn't have these video games. You know, when I was, I think when I was about 19, Pong came out. And we were all, we were all amazed by Pong, weren't we? Man, I remember standing in that department store watching that little ball. Boom, doom, doom. Wow. How did they do that? And then they came out with double pong. Two, two players could play it at, at one time. Whoa, that was amazing. And we didn't have, you know, these kids today, they, they know how to disassemble and reassemble a, a, a weapon at the age of 12, because of these video games they play. And they've been desensitized to violence and hatred and death. But, you know, and, and, and when, I was, when I was young, it wasn't that way. So I knew how to shoot a gun, but I didn't know how to, how to shoot the type of weapons they had. I had to be trained. I had to be taught to obey. Even though I was pretty good at it, I, I, had, to, I had to learn to understand what a man who had just ate jalapeno peppers and was screaming three inches from my nose at the top of his lungs was saying. And just, rah, 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 rah. yes, sir. The guy next to you says, what did he say? I don't know. I just, I just know to say, yes, sir. You got to be, they have to be prepared. Boot camp is, is dress rehearsal for the real thing. And, and we learned, we were taught if you don't obey in, in battle, you die. And so you need to learn to listen. But we were being prepared. We were taught how to assemble and disassemble an M16. I don't remember how, but I was taught how. We, we spent hours and hours in target practice on the obstacle course, running the obstacle course over and over and over again, drilling and drilling and drilling on the, on the, on the parade field and and all of the physical training and physical exercise to build up your strength, build up your endurance, all the protocol. We sat in hours of class each day learning the uniform code of military justice and being taught the rules and regulations in the military. And, and we did all of that. And all of this was for the day when we would really need it. And Paul admonished us as Christians in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 to study. Now, there are some things we should study for. First, let me say we should study for God's approval. Uh, the main reason we study scripture is to gain the approval of God. That's what Paul stated in, in verse 15, where he said, study to show thyself approved unto God. It pleases God when we meditate in his word. It pleases God when we study. It's like a teacher uh, when a teacher has a class of students, when, when they do well on the tests, that makes the teacher happy because the teacher understands my students are learning. No one wants to spend hours and hours and hours teaching a student uh, about algebra just to have them take a test and fail it. That's disappointing to a, to a teacher. And, 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 and then God, as our Father, he desires that we study his word and that we become familiar and and we grow and we become strong so that when those times in our life, when we do face trials and we do face tests, we know how to handle them. We're prepared. In those times when, when we are tested by, 
by the, the, the spirit of the Antichrist, when we are tempted to quit, when we, are, when we do find ourselves, and we all do, in that position where we're just ready to throw up our arms and say, that's it. God wants to see. He, he, it pleases him when his children have enough understanding of his word that they can have confidence and faith in him and trust him. We study that we might gain the approval of God. In Psalm 1, 2, Concerning the blessed man, we read, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Studying the word of God is, is, is something that not only uh, pleases God, but it, it pleases the spirit of man, the, 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 the new nature that we have in us. I was mentioning to pastor the other day, the thing I miss the most about not teaching a Sunday school class is not teaching it, it's the preparation, the study, and the planning, and, and, and all the things that go into being, being ready to preach. It, and, and that's God's desire, though. I, I, and I turned around and answered my own question and told Pastor, of course, just because I don't have a class doesn't mean I shouldn't still be putting that kind of effort into studying the Word of God. And you may not have a Sunday school class. You may never have a Sunday school class. But you should have the ability to teach if you're called upon because as God's children, we're all commanded to study the scriptures. We study for God's approval, but then also we study for our own accreditation. We study for our own accreditation. Paul said that we should study so as not to be ashamed. We should study so that we have the knowledge. You know, those of you in this room who are fathers... Do you know that it's your responsibility to teach your children, to train your children in, in, the, in the word of God? It's not the pastor's. Primarily, it's not even their Sunday school teacher. It's yours. It's your responsibility. God instructed you in Scripture to train up your child. God instructed you in Scripture to speak of the words of God in, in your home to your family uh, at all times. It's your responsibility so as a father, you need to have just as much knowledge and, and experience in, 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 in helping, helping your children learn the word of God as the preacher does. Now, he's, he's been given by God the gift to, 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 to preach. He's been called as a preacher. He's been given by God the ability to stand in front of a big crowd and teach. Maybe he hasn't given you that, but certainly you know how to communicate with your own child. So what, what do you do? Well, you, you come here and the pastor teaches you and then you take the teachings of the pastor and you go home and you, 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 you follow the scriptures he gives and you get in the scripture and you, you get your commentaries and you get your Bible dictionaries and you get all these things and you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to teach you the truth so that you can give that to your children. Because I'll tell you this, right now, your children will learn from you better than anyone else. No one will ever be able to teach your child to the degree that you as their parent can teach because God has placed a bond between the parents and the children that no one else can duplicate. You need to do it. And maybe you're a, maybe you're a father here today who has grown up children. Still not too late. It's not too late. Go fishing with your, with your grown up son and say, when you're out there, tell him. Listen, son, I didn't spend a lot of time with you growing up in the Word of God, but you know how important the Word of God is? And, and start sharing with them. You know, it's never too late. It's never too late. 
So we, we study for our own accreditation, so we're not ashamed, uh, so that we can, we, can, we can do the things we need to do. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, we read, for when, the time, uh, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, with the, uh, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. To be in this condition is not to our credit. It is not such as becomes children of God. I'm amazed at, at our high school students, how little some of them actually know. And I'm, I'm not talking about kids that don't go to church here. I'm talking about children that's, that, that grew up in church. How little they really know about the Word of God. They ask me some of the most basic questions. I'm, I'm, almost, I'm almost dumbfounded that... Being a, a, a child who grows up in church, they don't know these things. They don't understand these things. They should be, listen, and that's, that's, that's a discredit to us. That's a discredit to us as their parents. That we don't spend the time in the word of God with our children. So we must study for our own accreditation. Then also we study for others' admonition. We should study the word of God for the admonition of others. Paul completed uh, 2 Timothy 2.15 by writing the phrase, rightly dividing the word of truth. And this would imply a Christian who has enough understanding of the word of God that he can be a help to those around him. What if you're on your job and someone comes up to you and has a, has a real problem and, and they need spiritual advice? Can you give it to them? Can you, can you take them aside and... Can you, can you share with them from God's word effectively as a child of God? Or, or would you have to say, well, you know what you need to do? You need to make an appointment and go see my pastor. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. But I guarantee you, the, the, the old nature of man and the spirit of the Antichrist will work on that person. And probably only 1% of the time will they actually go to someone that can spiritually help them. They trusted you. They knew you were a Christian. And, and they, they, they came to you for help. And this may be very well be an opportunity God has given you to reach out and, and touch the soul of someone and actually have that person uh, come to Christ. You need to be ready. Peter said to be ready always to give an answer of them that ask you of the hope that's in you. You need to be prepared. You need, to, you need to know the word of God so that you can share it with other people. So that you can share it with those around you in your family, at work, wherever it may be. You need to be studied and prepared to speak to these people. So we see that a good soldier, a good soldier is obedient. A good soldier is prepared. But then there's, a, there's another aspect of a good soldier I want to discuss for a moment. And that is that a good soldier is committed. A good soldier is committed. In Psalm 37, in verse 5, David writes, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Now, commitment is another absolute necessity to being a good soldier. You, as a good soldier will be called upon to do that which no one else wants to do. And only a total commitment of your office as a soldier will give you the courage and the strength to accomplish your task, no matter what the cost. 
If the church, in my opinion, if, if, if the church in America lacks, lacks anything today, it, it lacks commitment from its membership. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak about that, so I'm not going to delve too deeply into it, because my, my, my message at 11 is entitled, Why Do I Need Church? And I'm going to delve more deeply into the commitment level that, that we should have. But we should be committed. You know what I never wanted to be? I never wanted to be a Christian who the pastor would have to wonder if I would show up at church that Sunday or not. I never wanted to be that kind of Christian. I never wanted to be a person that other people couldn't depend on. I wanted to be the type of person that if, 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 if you give me a job, you can forget about it because it'll get done. And I tell you, if you want to, if you want to do anything to help your children, if you want to do anything for your children and your future grandchildren, then you be a, a man or a woman who's committed to your local church. You be faithful and committed. We must be men and women of commitment. Now, what, what do we commit? Well, let me give you a few thoughts here and we'll be done. First, I just tell you that to get you, get you excited, but actually we, we got some time. Uh, first, commit our time to God. See, every now and then I've got to wake you up. And if I tell you, we're almost done. Oh, okay, it's almost done. I'll get, you, I'll get, another, I'll get another five minutes. <laughs> commit our time to God. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. I like that phrase. Because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. You see that phrase, redeeming the time? When I was a boy, I used to go grocery shopping with mom. And she would get green stamps. And you, you remember green stamps? They were, redemption, they, were, they were redemption stamps. She would get, you know, the, the cashier. Back then, they didn't just scan things. The cashier actually had to punch some buttons and pull a lever. And every time the, the, the cashier would pull that lever, another stamp would pop up. And I used to like to watch those stamps. Because mom would always give me those stamps. It was my job when we get home to take the stamps and... The, the little booklets were there, and they were, they were three stamps wide by four stamps long. And I, I placed a stamp on each page and fill a booklet. And, and then they had a catalog. And for, for 50 booklets, you could get a new baseball mitt. And I was a first baseman. And I wanted a new first baseman, and Dad couldn't afford to buy one. So for 50 books, I could get a, I could get a, a first baseman's mitt. And I remember, boy, licking those stamps and putting them on that thing. I remember those redemption stamps. And when I had, when I had enough books, I'd run down to the redemption center the, and, and I'd give them the books and they would take the books and they'd give me my glove. That was a lot of fun. And this is basically what Paul is talking about here when he talks about redeeming the time. God has given you so much time. And you exchange every moment of your life, every second of your life, you exchange it for something. And God is metering that time and he will, you will stand before him and give account for all of that time that he's given you. So we need to, we need to use our time wisely. We will exchange uh, uh, God's time for something. So what do we exchange it for? Do we exchange uh, our time on Sundays for Sunday school or for sports center? Do we exchange it for worship service or for Walmart? Do we exchange our time for Bible study on Wednesday nights or for backyard barbecues? Do we, ex do we exchange our, our time for visitation or for vacationing? You see, 
there will be so many excuses made for not committing our time to God. But the day will come when we will wish we had given more of our time to the Lord. Time is fleeting. It stops for no man. I tell my students that in high school all the time. Time waits for no man. Time is moving and you either keep up with it or it runs you right over. So we commit our time. But not only do we need to commit our time, but secondly, we need to commit our talent to God. What talent has God given you? You know, God gives everyone an ability, even if it's just an ability to sit in a pew and stay awake for two hours. He's given everyone the ability. And by the way, I fail at that gift often. <laughs> I miss having my wife in the services. She's, she's usually always on the other side in one of the classes because... I used to get that nudge in the ribs and every time she'd see my head bobbing. But what talent has God given you? What, what gift has God given you that can be used for the work of the ministry? You know, over, over, the, over the course of history, there's been a lot of people that God has not gifted. And instead of using it for his glory, they use it for their own. Just listen to this list of those who profess to be Christians. Uh, Elvis Presley. He was a Sunday school teacher and a choir director. In a, in a small church. Uh, Pat Boone. Pat Boone also uh, sang in a church choir and, and was a Sunday school teacher. He also became a country western music star. Uh, Andy Griffith, Hollywood actor. Charlton Heston also claims to be a Christian, but de- de- devoted his entire life to making movies. Tom Hanks is another one who claims to be a Christian, yet he spends, he spends all his effort making movies, many of which, um, uh, including uh, the one where he, uh, what was it, uh, the, the, he broke the code, the Da Vinci Code, just a blasphemous movie, yet he claims to be a child of God. Mr. T claims to be a child of God. Now, I'm not sure what he is, but whatever it is, it's pretty disturbing, I'll tell you that. H.G. Uh, Hines, the founder of Hines Ketchup Company. James C. Penny, the founder of J.C. Penny. Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's Hamburgers, he, he claims to be a Christian. Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart. I actually met Sam Walton, and I'd have to say he was a pretty decent man. I really, uh, I really respected him. Um, J.R. Tolkien, author of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings series, claims to be a Christian. Alice Cooper. How many of you know who Alice Cooper is? <laughs> claims to be a, he claims to be a child of God. M.C. Hammer. M.C. Hammer claimed to be a child of God. And the list goes on. I could, I, could, I could go on and on of the people that claim to be children of God and, and, and God gifted them with abilities and talents to be used in the, in the, in the, in the local church ministry. Yet they, they took those talents and they didn't commit them to the Lord. And they went out there and they, and they made, made a name for themselves, but in the same time blasphemed God. Uh, so we, we need to be careful. These are people who, 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 who wasted and abused their talent and did not use them for what they could have. Now, I don't know if all of them abused it or not, but I, I do know that I must commit the talents that God has given me to his service. And, and I'm sure I could stand here just as you and say I've had many opportunities in my life to, to go in different directions and accomplish other things. But... When God saved my soul 31 years ago, I could think of nothing better to do with the rest of my life than to give it to him and let him decide what I do with it. Just make a commitment to the Lord. Commit your, commit your, your talent. And then, and then next, 
quickly commit our treasure to God. Why is that so important? Well, you know, the church just wants to get rich. Yeah, we're just raking it in, aren't we? Yeah. We're just raking it in. No, you know why God wants you to commit your treasure to, to him? Because in Matthew 6.21, the Lord knows, he says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And if your treasure is in the local church, then your heart will be there too. But if you've got your treasure in, in, in fancy cars and big boats and 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 touring the world and vacation homes and blah, blah, blah. And listen, I'm not, I'm, if, you, if you have the means for that, I'm not putting that down. But I'm just saying, where is your, where is your, your heart? Where do you, what do you invest, your, what do you commit your treasure to? In Exodus chapter 36, the Bible gives account concerning the people's commitment to give to the work of the tabernacle. Listen to this, in Exodus 36, Verses 4 through 7. And all the wise men that wrought all the work of the sanctuary came every man from his work which they made. And they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. So Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing For the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it, and too much. Well, I can imagine that Brother John would love to have that problem. Wouldn't you, Brother John? Wouldn't you love to walk into the pastor's office and say, Pastor, you've got to tell the people to stop giving, because we have more money than we could ever spend. That would be a great problem to have. Unfortunately, the exact opposite is true. Because God's people do not commit their treasure to the Lord. They'll come and they'll sit in the pew and they'll enjoy the music and they'll listen to the preaching and they'll be blessed by the preaching, but they'll walk out with their, with their, with their, their pockets sewn shut. And we should commit our treasure to the Lord. Why do we fail to give, by the way? Let me give you two reasons people fail to give. First one is greed. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, God asks a question. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? And God answers, in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Greed. People just don't want to give up their money. Uh, uh, we take an offering to, to uh, put a well in a, in a, in a uh, leper's colony in, in India for Brother Ekno, and people just are untouched by that. Pastor talks about, we show you every Sunday in the bulletin, the deficit of the church, how much, how much behind budget the church is. And people just, they're just oblivious to that. Because they want what, everything they can get, and they don't want to give any of it to anybody. And greed is definitely not what the Lord desires for his people. We're to give, he tells us to give, uh, to give abundantly. And God promises he'll give you back more than you gave him. And there are people in this room right now that could stand up and attest to that, could give testimony to what God has done. But you know what? That's not the reason to give. Somebody sitting at home, financial trouble, says, okay, I'll tell you what, I'm going to start tithing. That'll clean things up. Uh-uh, no, your motive's wrong. <laughs> you give because God is gracious and has given to you. That's why you give. But then secondly, the second reason is doubt. Doubt. In Malachi 3.10, God issued a challenge to the people of God. He said, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, 
that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Just plain old doubt. People doubt that God is going to be able to take care of them. They just can't see giving that tithe to the church because then they won't be able to pay the water bill. Well, I can tell you right now, water's nice. <laughs> Definitely it. It's, it's nice to be able to send it out the same way you bring it in, at least I'll say that. First Timothy 6.10 For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the face and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. If, let me say this, and I'll close. If you cannot find contentment with Christ plus nothing, you will never find contentment. If, if Christ alone is not enough for you, then there's not enough in the world to satisfy you. If you can, if you can walk out of this room today and go home and have no heat and, and, and no running water and, and no working toilets, and I know that feeling, and no food in your in your in your pantry, no, no, nothing in your refrigerator. And you sit there and you have no one and, and you just sit there and you have nothing, absolutely nothing. If you have Christ, you have all you ever needed and all you could ever want. So let's remember that. Be a good soldier. The good soldier is obedient, he is prepared, and he is committed. All right. Well, thank you for coming out this morning. I hope this has been a, a help to you and an encouragement. Um, so we are going to go ahead and dismiss now for 10 minutes, and then uh, we'll come back together for the worship service at 11. And you are dismissed.